Brother Plale. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see Brother Scott Herring. Praise the Lord. Good to see you. We're so glad you're here. Also good to see Sister Tasia back. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, if you were here Sunday and you got a greeting, forgive me. I'm old. So good to see you. Good to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? It's good to be here. Amen. I don't like it when I can't be here. Praise God. That ought to be the way it is with a child of God. It ought to stir our hearts. It ought to shake us. It ought to break us. It ought to make a difference in how we pray and how we do things and whether or not we volunteer for work after work or not. Amen. Being in the house of the Lord is a place that psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. You're saying in our common verbiage today, Brother Carlos, he said, if it meant standing out there and holding the door open for you so you could come in, and I might just be able to hear from the foyer what's going on, the worship. I may be able to feel the anointing. I may be able to let preaching begin to stir in my heart. That's better than the best tent on a mountainside. Can I get an amen from some of you men today? God bless you. You're standing. I apologize. Psalm 23, one verse, verse 4. Yea, though I walk. I want to talk about keep walking tonight. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Will you help me pray tonight? God of heaven, we love you and praise you. Ask you, God, in this place, help your people, God, stir your people's hearts. Help us, God. I want to leave this place better than I came. I'm asking you, God, speak to my heart. Talk to me, God. Change me. Someone say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. The valley, the place you live in, called this a valley. The valley is a place that's between two or more higher places. Sometimes we call them peaks. We call them a mountain. We call them a monument or a plateau going from a higher place to a lower place and back up to a higher place. I want to make sure that we all understand that the valley is from top to top. It's not while you're on the top, but it's when you begin to transition from the top. Four accidents happen going down the mountain than going up the mountain. You know why? Because it just, yeah, gravity's one. 
But there's something about after you hit that peak, there's an euphoria, there's an excitement, there's an infatuation, there's a, a time where you just feel, you know, excited about being where you're at. The view is different, the air is crisper, it's cleaner, everything is better on a mountain. But you can't live there. Generally, most mountaintops that I've been on, very few, have a very narrow area on the top. If you're on the top, not False Peak, you want to know what a False Peak is? Me neither. Climb up Lazy Mountain. You come up out of the trees and you go, whoo, doggy, I'm there. You come clearing that top and you go, where'd that come from? I've never seen that before. And then you hit that one and you finally peak that one and you go, I'm not laughing. False peaks. But that valley is from that transition down. I don't know. I just need to say that again. I just feel it. But that transition from that place of excitement. Very dear friend that I ran with. Hole knows, Sister Hole, you might remember, he was an incredible mountain runner. Uh, he fell, Pikes Peak, just finished a phone call, telling everyone he just cleared the top, the weather was starting to change, and just starting to make his way down. Within moments from the very top, tripped and fell and fell to his death. Horrific, terrible, terrible situation. It's not to bum you out tonight. We have to be careful after we make that transition. Because after every great celebration, there's going to be a hazard. There's going to be things that will trip us up if we're not careful. We've been working so hard to get to the top, when after we clear the top, we think, now it's just smooth sailing. But i got to watch my footing. i got to be careful because that's a narrow path. And when I was going up at Brother Dave's, I've got my eyes right there because I'm looking where I'm going to put my foot and where I'm going to place my hand and where I'm going to place my foot and where I'm going to place my hand. And when I clear the top, I stop thinking about where each of those should go. And I can trip and I can fall and I can stumble. I know nobody here has ever done that before. Just for those that are either watching on FaceTime or they're listening to a podcast. But it's from one peak to another. Keep walking. Do it with purpose, church. Do it with purpose. Because purpose will promote passion. And passion, passion prolongs perseverance. You can't keep walking if you don't have a passion. You'll just give up somewhere along the way. We've all been there before. We said, oh, throw in a towel, I'm done. White flag, raise it up, devil, leave me alone, no more troubles. I give up. Do it with purpose. Do it with passion. And do it with perseverance. And I don't want to stop. I can't give up. There isn't another option. 
I, I will not forget, not long after I had come to know the Lord, Brother Scott, I was, uh, I had gone through the house and I began to get rid of things. You know what I'm talking about? God begins to deal with you. Preacher didn't come out and say, you better get rid of this and that and that. No. Prayer, altar time, reading my Bible, things that mattered, anointed preaching. And all of a sudden, my wife and I said, we got to get rid of some things. We began to go through the house and we said, I don't need that no more. Take that, get rid of it. Change that out. Unplug that. Brother, you are reading my notes because God began to deal with my heart and he said, it's time to get rid of some things. But as I got rid of my record collection, I know nobody does this. I had some oldies but goodies. And I was told they're worth a lot of money and I boxed them all up and I took them off the shelf and I buried them away in a closet and that closet got filled with more junk and stuff like that and weeks became months and I didn't go back in there and say, oh God, don't wait to listen to that. It was just there because in my heart, Brother Robbie, I saved them for a rainy day. I put them aside in case Christianity didn't work. Just in case living for God wasn't enough. I could always go back to that record collection. I could always go back and pull that up because I saved it. And the preacher was preaching underneath the anointing power. And God smote me as God is my witness when I was sitting in a pew. You need to get rid of some things. You need to get rid of them for good, for good, for good. Saving them. Just thought, Brother Carlos, I could just hang on to them. I was listening to it, but just in case I got rid of them. That service was done. I went home. My wife, I think she said, uh, she might remember this. She goes, what are you doing? She probably didn't even know I had them. And I had even forgot that I'd stuck them away. But God knew. So I pulled those things out, and I went out. We lived in an apartment, went out to a dumpster. And as I'm out at that dumpster, I saw I went like this, Brother Carlos, ready to just. But I broke every one of them. I didn't take them to the pawn shop and sell them. I don't want to give up. Can't. It's a little things. It's something so small and insignificant. That causes us to get distracted, to keep us from being wholehearted, from keep us from being focused, in tune with God. See, I hear God just fine. Ah, what'll happen if you get rid of some things? What'll happen if all of a sudden you start pouring out the trash? <laughs> take out the trash. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Why don't you just take it out there to the dumpster and just get rid of it? And watch God bless you. I'll re I cannot forget, Brother Trace, when that was all done, I'm going to tell you something. It was, it was as if God had unshackled me. It was just like he said, oh, that's so Hollywood. 
I'm not preaching for theatrics, friend of mine. I'm talking about anointing. God allowed his anointing to rest upon me when I was willing to give to him everything. We want the anointing, but we're not willing to give him everything. We want that powerful prayer life, and yet we're willing to keep things in our pockets. We want the love of God, and we're not willing to forgive our neighbor or even our spouse or our children. God help us. The little things. It's just a record. No, it was not just a record to God. It was a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block. And God intended for me to be free of all stumbling blocks. He intends for you to be completely unshackled and free. Some valleys are easy and others are a little more difficult. Some seem unending. Now, some might just be the distance or the time frame. But I venture to say that some valleys are the circumstances even more so than the time or the distance. Chew on that for just a second. I used to do a crazy race. It was a 100-mile snowshoe race. There, Yeah, snowshoes. Crazy. And there was a place that I named it the Abyss. I kid you not. It was at that time of day after you'd taken off early in the morning. It's light. You're running as fast as you can for a while. Then now you're kind of loping, and then you're walking, and then... Basically, you're wondering, what in the world am I doing here? Sister Melinda, this is silly. I could be home. And I'm not. It's dark. And this area is across the swamps over towards the Susitna River. And when you fly over that, you'll fly over it. And when you do, you'll see. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a long ways between trees. It's a swamp. And that area, when I hit it, Sister Herring, every time I would hit it, I was wet, and I was cold, and the wind was blowing, and I was tired, and it was dark, and there was no lights anywhere for records, nothing, and so off you went, you just plotted, sometimes a valley's like that, church member, brother, sister, sometimes you got nothing that you can use as a reference. You know that God is there because he told you scripturally, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And you're walking and you still can't see what's going on. And you're tired and the wind is in your face and it's cold and I'm hungry. I don't know how much longer it's going to be because I have no reference after a while, after several years of being stupid, doing the same thing, I figured out how long it took if you kept a certain pace. So somewhere at it, about two and a half hours, I started kind of thinking, all right, I'm starting to get close. I think I'm comfortable now. 
and you're not. Sometimes a valley is like that. I think, Pastor Heron, you were with me one time when we were hunting on the slope. Old earth, windy earth, dark earth, than anything that you've ever been in. And went caribou hunting and chased caribou. You know that a caribou can walk with probably three legs faster than you and I can run for a very long time. And so they just walk and they just keep walking. They just like to walk. Oh, you can't. And you get out in there, and the, and it, if I remember right, if you were with me, tell me if you remember. But for whatever reason, I started the truck and left the truck running so that it would stay warm <laughs> for fear that when you got back, it would start, and it'd be dead. And so it's running, and so there are running lights on. And I remember that we get a couple of caribou down, and now the work starts, and you're cold, and it's even... Everything that I said magnified. And you start walking back thinking somewhere along here I ought to see the lights to the car. We couldn't have walked more than five miles. Seems like eternity on the slope. And then all of a sudden, off in the distance, you could see just a flicker of a light. And no, it wasn't just a few minutes and we were there. It wasn't even just an hour or two. But it just seemed like, Brother Stacy, the more I walked, the the same the light looked. It didn't look any closer. It can't it can't be further away. I know it's not driving itself, and and I know I'm walking because I'm sweating and I feel the effects of the. And yet, sometimes, if you have a reference point, you can keep your eyes on that reference point, and you can get across that. Because somewhere along in that thing, even though I got discouraged, and you get discouraged, I just kept walking. I just kept putting a foot in front of the other, and before you know it, you get to where you're going, and the light gets closer and closer, and then you can hear the motor running. And you get there, and you get to do it all again because you do need to do another trip. That's another message. It wasn't an option to stop. Way too cold. You'd freeze to death in no time. You had to keep going. Church, it's not an option to stop. It's not. I, I, I think that hang in there baby little kitty in the toilet bowl is cute as all get out. Especially since I'm not really fond of kitties. Thinking of what happens... Close the lid. And, but it's not. Christianity is not hang in there, baby. It's not about just, just by the skin of our teeth. There'll be times when we're just hanging on, like in the ship. There'll be times when it seems like it's a while between you feel the presence of God. But it's not a hang in there. Just hang on and don't make any... We've got to keep walking. We've got to keep walking. I want to encourage somebody to please don't let up. Don't surrender. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't raise the white flag. Keep walking. Keep walking. Like the Israelites, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, 
they faced Jericho, and it would have been an easy time to just say, uh, done, stop. No, you got to keep walking. Just go around that city today, okay, one time today. And tomorrow we're going to go around it one more time. And the next day, and the next day, you know the story, and on the seventh day, we're going to go seven times around, and when we get around that seventh time, you're going to shout with a shout of victory, and God is going to cause those walls to go flat. And that city is going to come down. And that is the very end. The very end of wandering in the wilderness. That valley. I just. Brother Brad, I heard you and Pastor Tord on Sunday. I was home. Wife was sick. Thank you for praying for her. She's here tonight. I believe by God. I heard you talked about being in the valley. I did not listen to it on purpose because God had been dealing with my heart about this message for some time. It changed along the way. But we can't. We can't give up, folks. We can't give in. We can't allow complacency and indifference to get a hold of us. Uh, is that it? That's the only, only one or two people saying amen? We cannot allow the spirit of apathy to get a hold of the church. This place should be busting at the seams. I am so thankful you are here. But the spirit of apathy has gripped the church in these last days. Please help me to preach what I'm feeling in my heart today. People have been allowed to take two months off of church because we couldn't have it. Did you hear what I said? They've been allowed to take two months off. Didn't have to go to work. Got to play around, go here and there and do whatever they want. And the church doors open up. And where are they on Sunday? They're camping on the peninsula. What's wrong with that? They got a volleyball game, a church, uh, a softball game, whatever it is. They found every reason and every excuse to miss church. The spirit of apathy. The spirit of indifference. In a valley. And in the valley, they've lost their passion. They've lost their desire. They've lost their, their gumption, their get up and go. And they're wandering around. And pretty soon, 40 years is going to be up. Did you hear what I said? Pretty soon, the hourglass is going to be done and over with. God will understand. I pray somebody listening and somebody watching hears what I'm saying tonight. Where are you? Where you been? You need to be back in the house of the Lord. Please. Please hear what's going on. Come on. Yeah, we got we to gotta keep on going. We got to keep on going and we can't stop. I can't settle for less. And please, please hear me. Don't allow yourself to be fooled into a false expectation. Just like a false peak will discourage you. A false peak will cause people to go, hmm, I've made an accomplishment. 
Hey, if you've never climbed lazy and you go just to the picnic table, God bless you. I appreciate that. God is going to bless you. Next time, go a little further. But in your spiritual walk, if you get used to, if I get used to stopping before I get to the top, then I get an emotional expectation. Wasn't church good today, Pastor Ed? Man, I sure felt the Holy Ghost. What's wrong with Sunday? What was wrong with last week? Where were you at the altar? Did you come pray through? Did you get refilled with the Holy Ghost? No, but I sure felt good. Wonder where I'm going tonight. I'm telling you what. We can't allow that spirit to get a hold of us. We just get a little bit of a little goosebump. Sister Bobby just get a little bit of feeling kind of, yeah, that feels good. Preacher said I did good in Sunday school teaching the kids and recognized me for mowing the grass. And, man, and the valley is still the valley. You never got to the top. You never finished what God wanted you and I to finish. So somewhere in the middle, we stopped and got this, this feel-good emotion, and we think that that's all that God wants us to feel. Hey, I'm glad for feel-good emotions. I love to feel the presence of God. I love it when I feel it on the top of my head to the soles of my feet. But I'll tell you what I like more, when God refills me with the Holy Ghost. When I pray through at the altar over something that's been bugging me, When I take something out of my pocket, I've been carrying around, whether it's a rock that I want to throw at my brother, or whether it's sin in my life, and I go, my God in heaven, I don't want that anymore. And true repentance comes. Did I give you Acts chapter 3, verse 19, talking about refreshing? It said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. In the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I didn't get that from the singers. Can I get an amen from somebody? I didn't get that from the guitar player or the piano player. And thank God we're talented running amok all across this sanctuary. We're blessed. So blessed. But if you're a piano player or a bass guitar player or a drummer or a guitar player and you think somehow you possess in your hands what the church needs, you are sadly mistaken. The church needs preaching. The church needs anointing. The church needs the Holy Ghost to move across this sanctuary. You need it. I need it. Visitors need it. That's where refreshing comes from. Amen. Not an emotional boost, not a feel good, not a goose pump. When you get shut in with God in your prayer closet, that's what we need. Keep walking. I know, honestly, each and every one of you, we can all relate. I'm in one of two places. I'm on top or I'm in the valley. I'm on top of a mountain, I'm in it. And I just. Oh, I just cannot help 
I began to wonder. Telling you, I didn't know Brother Walter wasn't going to be here. I didn't know that. But Ezekiel 37 is a story about a valley that's filled with bones. There's three characters that are involved in this that to speak of. There's God. Amen. If God's not in it, it's not worth telling. And there is a preacher. And there's people. God takes the preacher and he moves him over there and he takes him over into the midst of the valley so that he can look at the whole situation. Can I preach tonight? Someone let me talk to him tonight. Where's that preacher going with that? Where's the pastor think he's got the authority to talk about that subject like that? Because God picks him up and takes him places to see things that we don't see. He moves him around. He got to see the whole situation. He began to see things in a different eye. He said he saw a valley full of bones. Very dry and many. Very many. Say very many. Very many, and they were very dry. Time wouldn't permit for me to tell you everything that's on my heart, but I will tell you. Please, don't reject the counsel of the pastor when he begins to talk, when he begins to preach, when he begins to teach, when he begins to counsel, when he begins to talk to you from his heart. Come on, God took, he didn't take the piano player. Didn't take one of the praise singers. Hey, Sunday school teacher, he didn't take you. Question what the pastor tells you as a Sunday school teacher or a preacher or assistant pastor. Amen. Got a direct link. Y'all said, here, I want you to look at something. Tell me what you see. So this is what I see. He said, can they live? They're very many, and they're very dry. You see, I believe this story can correlate to what we're talking about tonight. Keep walking. The result of individuals who lost their passion, who lost their zeal, who lost their get up and go, died in that valley. Brother Rick, it might have just been one at first, and two, and four, and 24, and 100, and 200, maybe 1,000, maybe more, but they're unnumbered. It doesn't say how many, just many bones. He said, what do you think, preacher? Can they live? Realize it's talking about the backslid nation of Israel. Fast forward it to 2020 for Palmer. I want you to tell me, can they live, Pastor? God knows. He says, I want you to prophesy it to them. 
prophesies to him, Brother Dave, he says, hear ye the word of the Lord. Please, Pastor, don't ever say that. Oh, it's not. This valley is full of bones. They're many. They're dry. And it's, don't stop. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop it. Don't give up. Do what the word of God says. Hear ye the word of the Lord. You know God. God knows. There's a people. There's a people. Backsliders. Some of your family members. Some of your friends. Some people you work with. Some might even be you. You might be in church and you're dead and you're dry and you're not going anywhere. And it seems like you just can't get anywhere in life. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Preach, pastor, preach. Don't stop. He's preaching. Lord, you know there's a lot of bones. There's a lot of carnage. There's a lot of broken marriages. There's a lot of families that are split up. There's a lot of people that are strung out on drugs, alcohol. So many. They seem so dry. But don't let those dry bones distract you, Pastor. Preach it. Preach it. Tell us what thus saith the Lord. Don't stop. Do it with all that you've got in you. I believe that God knows that he can take a valley full of bones, dry and many, and put them back together. It's not going to be through a social program. It's going to be through preaching. It's going to be through anointing. It's going to be through a pastor with a heartbeat of God. Merciful God, a preacher in tune with God. And the valley all of a sudden begins to make some noise. That's what my Bible says. Marshall says that all of a sudden those bones began to rattle. And I can only, I can only just kind of speculate that as a heap of bones begins to go back together, it wasn't like, well, hey, that's my leg bone, not your leg bone. No, every bone knew exactly where to go to because every person is important to God. You hear what I said? I don't care if they're a prostitute. I don't care if they're a liar or a fornicator. I just know this. God loves sinners. He loves people so much. He wants to pull them up out of a dry, 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 dry situation and give them back life. Hear the word of the Lord. He's preaching and prophesying and the noise begins and the bones come together and all of a sudden sinew begins to hook and muscle takes place in flesh and that body comes back together. Uh, nah, it's, it's not bones anymore. It's not dry. It's a body. But the body is not complete yet. The body needs breath in it. 
people out there. Merciful God. Oh man, oh man. He takes this this big heap of bones. Originally without a vision, no longer had strength, no will to continue. Hopeless is beyond description. I don't think you could put words in the preacher's mouth with what he felt as he looked at that big pile. Is it any wonder when Jesus came unto that city, he wept? Sometimes, I know you don't, but for those that are listening elsewhere, please don't take this personal. I'm being facetious. People wonder. What's up with Pastor? Why is he so uh, uh, aloof? Why is he away? Why does he seem depressed? Why does he seem this? Just, he just, boy, he didn't shake my hand. He must be mad at me. Preachers feeling the tug of the bones. He's seeing lives. They've got, they just got discombobulated. They got, I don't know, somewhere along the way, they just began to believe a lie. And next thing you know, they're no longer in church or they're coming to church and they no longer think preaching is important. And it's more fun to sit there and read their texts and their emails while church is going on. What's up with the preacher? We lighten up a little bit. Come on, get with it. Be cool. Because he's feeling that, that urgency of the dry bones. Feeling the urgency of those that are somewhere in their walk across the valley. Stop making forward motion. Now I want your pastor, I want your preacher, I want you to prophesy. The breath of life. We got a body here. We need to give it some breath. Remember that in the beginning, in the garden, he took that dirt. Life into it. Came at him. Now, God tells the preacher, now breathe on those that are slain that they may live. They were dead for that purpose. Oh my. So dried up. Their hope is lost. But verse 10 said, when he said, And the breath came into them, and they lived. Even when we get so far off track, church, that we're nothing more than a pile of dry bones. 
God says, preacher, read on. Preach your word and prophesy. Breathe on them. He says, I want them to have life. The Bible says when they got life and they lived, they stood upon their feet. An emancipated, or a, what's that word? Uh, someone's Africa hasn't, doesn't eat. Emaciated. Thin, frail. Say, Lord, let's just get them up and we'll make them a frail body of believers. He said when he said, you're going to be a great army, an exceeding great army, exceeding great army. I'm going to put my spirit in them and they shall live. God's going to open up their graves and bring them to a promised land. Verse 12. Come on, church. We got to keep walking. We got to keep walking. I, I just, something came to my mind. Just as I was driving over tonight, a little earlier than that, I was thinking about signs as we're driving down the road. There are signs that I consider to be suggestive and signs I consider to be um, more than suggestive. You know what I mean? A suggestive sign might be a sign that you walk or you drive by that says, last gas station for 40 miles. And you look at your tank and you go, I got an eighth of a tank here. I think I can make it. Suggestive. You might stop here and get some gas and eat something. I think it's suggestive when it says yield even. I think it's suggestive when it talks about a pedestrian crossing. It's not suggestive if you see the pedestrian. Can I get an amen? Slow, this is a sharp turn ahead. Suggestive? You don't get a ticket unless you go up a ditch and then they take speed too fast. But then there are signs that are more, far more than suggestive. They're required. Stop. Yet we have a name for a stop. This is non-traditional. Crazy. But it's called a California stop. Anyone know what that is? I know none of you have done that. Might be a sign that says one-way street. That is certainly a requirement if you happen to be going the wrong way on a one-way street. Speed limit. But often we take speed limit signs and we go, oh, there's a nine-mile-an-hour fudge factor. Amen. So is the speed limit really a speed limit sign? I said all this to say this. There are things in the spiritual realm that are suggestive, and there are things that are required. Praise God. The Bible says suggestively you should lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets thee. 12.1 of Hebrews. We should pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians. We should submit to God, James 4, 7. We should submit to elders, 
13, 17, those that have the rule over you, we should submit to our pastor. And then there's those who require it. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. 13, 3 and 5 of Luke. Required to be baptized, Acts 2, verse 27, 28, or 38. Required that you forgive. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. And do it often. Matthew 18, 21, even if it's 70 times 7 times. We love our neighbor, 543 of Matthew. Love our enemy, Matthew 544. Required that a steward be found faithful. So we begin to look at these signs and we go along our life and we put it into the spiritual realm. Some things we look at and we say, that's not required. I'm the exception to the rule. I'm a better driver. I've got quicker reflexes. I've got eyes in the back of my head. I can text and I can drive at the same time. We think that we're the exception. The spiritual realm, we're not the exception. We may think that it's suggested that we pray, but it's required that we pray. You don't pray, you ain't going to make it. It's not going to happen. If I don't give, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to try to pat it down that somebody hasn't understood tithing and giving. You just can't make it. And so, as we started off here, and I'm closing, so stand, please. It's the little things that get us distracted. It's the little things that start off and, well, God understands I'm just not feeling so well tonight. I'm not going to come to church. I won't go to prayer meeting because I'm praying at home. I won't do this or I won't do that. I won't do anything. You know, you put the fill in the blank. But the fact of the matter is, it starts there. And it begins to snowball. And it gets bigger and it gets greater, and it gets a harder hold. And before we know it, we don't even realize that we've allowed it access. And we're doing nothing more than the children of Israel who had an opportunity to walk right in the promised land, Pastor, right out of Egypt. Two out of 12 said, we are well able. But 10 out of 12 said, are you kidding? They're bigger. They're stronger. There's more of them. So they elevated and they exaggerated the enemy. And then they took away what God had told them he would do for them. We got to keep walking, church. We cannot let these things. I don't know what you're thinking on a Wednesday night. I just, I just wonder if you had the opportunity to come to this altar, would you do so? Would you come up and 
begin to talk to God. No one's, no one's going to shake you. There's somebody that in their valley, they've got distracted. In their valley, they no longer think of the importance of prayer, repentance, church, 